Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside... Connor Bautzazor. And today, we're going to be covering the big news week in terms of K-State football, specifically. We will eventually get a chance to talk about the other sports, but with press conferences with football and, of course, the uncomfortable recruiting news currently sitting in the room... We kind of have to talk about football because it's the most pressing right now. So let's begin with our traditional opening segment of recruiting. And let's just say we have already taken a pretty considerable L for the 2023 class. Yeah, we had a pretty big loss in uh, recruiting that kind of came out of nowhere for those that have been following recruiting pre-realignment, but with context... Uh, the more you think about it, it just makes more sense, sadly. But uh, a t- uh, tight end target from Eudora, Jaden Ham, uh, he committed to Arkansas uh, just a few days ago. And uh, that, 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 that stung, at least for me. I remember I saw the notification. I was just completely shocked. Like It, I, it shocked a lot of people, even insiders. Yes. Uh, I, I think a lot of people were taken aback by it, especially because... All of the recent chatter, uh, at least the most up-to-date chatter, had been that K-State was the leader in the clubhouse, but realignment changes everything. And for a four-star rated tight end like Jaden Ham, he's going to want to go play in the Premier Conference, which is more and more looking like the SEC, at least in a perception uh, sort of way. And that's what matters at the end of the day, recruiting's perception. Yeah. And... Let it, let us clarify something just right out the way. We will always wish the best for Kansas kids, no matter where they go. But it doesn't make it hurt any less. Yeah, like I want Jaden Ham to succeed. I wish he would have succeeded here, though. Yeah, <laughs> like... I, and I think he would have, especially considering how good we have been at tight end. Yeah, the emphasis that's been put on tight end in our offense by Courtney Messingham and Chris Kleiman, uh, I think that's something that Jaden Ham could have really thrived in. Uh, he's still going to Arkansas, though. I think he can probably still thrive there as well. Arkansas has some good recent tight end history with uh, Hunter Henry, yep. so it's hard to argue with that. He's been in the NFL for a few years, if you aren't familiar with Hunter Henry. Not the K-State walk-on safety Hunter Henry, the NFL tight end Hunter Henry. Different guy. It, it, it really is a different guy. guy. It is a different guy. I can see how you'd get confused. Yes. I can't see how you'd get confused. You, you, I can't either. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, after seeing Briley Moore uh, last year, uh, Sammy Wheeler back in 2019 in the receiving game, as well as part of 2020 before he was injured, and also what we're anticipating with Daniel Amaterbebe, or Imater Bebe. Imater Bebe. Imater Bebe. I'm going to keep calling him Imater Bebe, even though I know it's wrong, exclusively because Imater. It, it's, it's cool. Like, it's, it's fun. But, but yeah, it's, and Daniel Imater Bebe's uh, anticipated impact on the offense this year, uh, it, it, it was easy to draw Ham into this offense and see a very successful tight end. But never, right. never, nevertheless, it, it was not meant to be, and that that is the world of recruiting, unfortunately. So we have to lick our wounds and move on. Yeah, and this raises three questions in particular that I could come up with. The first one is, 
Should we be worried? And I'm not talking exclusively about Jaden Ham because I don't think K-State's flipping him. Probably not. I, I don't think yeah. we're flipping just about anyone other than maybe the guy who goes to who's committed to UAB who's showed a bit of interest. Who's that? I don't remember. I just remember seeing on like 24-7 that K-State is pursuing someone who's already committed. Anyway, hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm not talking about specifically this recruit. I'm talking about should we be worried about our ability to commit or recruit at a high level despite the amazing efforts of people in the recruiting staff like Taylor Bratt? Right. Um, I think that it's reasonable to be worried in at least the short term. I think in the long term, things will settle eventually, uh, one way or another, and recruiting will stabilize. But in the short term, this isn't just going to be a K-State thing. It's probably going to be a conference-wide thing. Like, uh, it's it makes sense for any other Power 5 school that's not in the Big 12 to start using ammunition against the Big 12, that the conference is unstable. Who knows where they're going to end up? Who knows who you'll be playing in uh, four years? Uh, you may be playing OU in Texas and all of them for now, but you may not be. You might be playing Wyoming in four years. Unlikely, but... But it's still a possibility. But, but it's, it's easy to draw that picture for recruits. And definitely in the short term, we should be worried because... Realignment is just something that will be used against us in recruiting. Granted, the staff has been able to retain all of our current commits so far, and it doesn't seem we're in any immediate danger on the outside looking in yeah. of that changing. Uh, Braden Lofton has made some uh, very strong comments that he is going to remain committed, so not worried about that at all. Yeah, But for getting new recruits, it's not just K-State. It should be worried. It should be all of the remaining eight. Yeah, and, and something that I've seen a few on, on message boards, and I'm, it might have been a message board where I saw the the UAB thing. It's either 24-7 or one of the message boards that I saw it. Neither here nor there. Something that I've been seeing on message boards especially is the, the one example that keeps getting brought up, which is Iowa State and Hunter Deo. He was a four-star defensive tackle. They were able to get him into commit. I'm not sure if it was – I think it was towards the beginning – of when realignment concerns were happening. I think it maybe even been uh, before uh, realignment uh, started. I'm not exact. I don't remember off the top of my head his commitment date, but if I were guesstimating, it was middle of July. So a little before realignment, I think. So, it, but still the argument is they managed to retain his commitment as a four star. And because it is a competitor in the big 12 and especially someone that we're rivals with, a lot of people are concerned about that, which kind of leads to the next question is there's still a lot of time for the 2023 class. The 2022 class, I think we're more or less kind of seeing what we're going to get. We'll obviously pick up a few more commitments right. here and there, but I think we're kind of at a point to where the 2022 class is the core of it is made up. Excuse me. So it, it kind of makes people look towards the 2023 class, which I think you and I have gone on record is probably going to be the most important recruiting class for at least the foreseeable future. Yeah. Um, at least for what we know right now, 
Uh, there may be some studs in 2024 that we just haven't gotten around to yet because we're still a ways away from uh, that class really being moved into the forefront. But 2023, uh, Jaden Ham, he was a 2023 recruit. So we've Jayden already. Bender. Yeah, Jaden Bender out of Eudora. Avery um, Johnson. Yeah, the Avery Johnson, Dylan Edwards. Uh, those are the big names. And there's Camden Beebe. Camden Beebe, yep. And I'd I, say those are the big five. Yeah, those are the big ones. Uh, so, yeah, we already know Ham. He already is committed to Arkansas, so K State strikes out there. But then we have the remaining four, I believe. And can, this is the question, can we recover for the 2023 class, which, let me take that first part, and I think technically it's possible. But the second one is recruit high-level recruits. I, you can't rule it out, is what I'll say. But all I will say is that we were already, we weren't getting high-level recruits at a high clip. So, it may not be fair to expect that to change immediately, but if it were going to change, it'd be 2023 because of the plethora of in-state talent, especially a guy like Dylan Edwards with heavy K-State connections. In my mind, he's the recruit that we should have the best shot with so far. He did just pick up a Wisconsin offer, as did Avery Johnson, and so we'll have to keep an eye on that. But Dylan Edwards... I'd love to see him at K-State. I, I don't know anybody who wouldn't want to see him at K-State. Uh, his dad played uh, for K-State back in the 90s. So he's he's an attainable guy. Jaden Bender, he's attainable as well out of Eudora, the same high school as uh, Jaden Ham and Silas Etter, a current commit. And then Avery Johnson, he's kind of the wild card in this situation because he's had a much more – he's had a more national recruit – more national recruitment. And he's also been moving up the rankings. I believe he's a top 150 prospect now. He is for junior. Yeah, class. he's a he's a mid-level four star on uh, rivals or on rivals and 24/7, I believe. Yeah, and he's probably the best Kansas native recruit in several years. Several years at least. He's rated higher than Kanak, which is saying a lot. The only one that is in the same league as him for any Kansas recruit was Desa McCullough, but he left uh, the state and went to Indiana uh, before his senior season even started. So Avery Johnson, he's the premier recruit from the state. So K-State is going to have to fight tooth and nail to keep him around. Having Dylan Edwards and him with a close relationship, having those two being close, um, that helps a lot. And I think K-State still has a good shot at Avery Johnson, but that's going to be a much more difficult recruit. And it already was going to be before realignment. So, And I think realignment, not to cut you off, I think realignment has forced us into the situation where before, if you asked me, before this episode, before Jaden Ham committing to Arkansas, I think if you asked me, of that list of five people that we mentioned, Cam Beebe, Avery Johnson, Dylan Edwards, Jaden Ham, Jaden Bender, and is that all of them? That was all of them, yeah. That was all of them. I would say we were easily able to net at least three of them. Which is, honestly, that's probably fair. Because I, I think that we have a great chance at Bender and Beebe. Not, they're not locks or slam dunks by any stretch of the imagination, but they're still guys that I would consider to be... We should be able to land them. Before realignment, 
I would, I would, like I said, I would say easily three, and we could have reached up into four. Yeah. With realignment, I think getting two will be a challenge. I that's kind of where I'm at post realignment as well. Uh, realignment, it's it's not just uh, the question of of if the Big Twelve will exist or whatever. It's just the instability of the situation. Period. Because if we knew where K State was going to be in a few years, even if that might be a lower level conference or a cobbled together Big Twelve, it would at the very least be a solid answer, and it would still it'd be something. But right now there is no answer, and there's probably not going to be one for the foreseeable future. Nope. So, I mean, we may not see other developments in this for the rest of the year. Because realignment, contrary to the uh, past month, historically moves at a snail's pace. Yep. Because there are so many moving parts going on. I mean, uh, OU in Texas, uh, it's been uh, alleged that their talks with the SEC had been happening for at least six months. And that's minimum six months. So they've been talking to them since the end of 2020. So it's... It's just the instability that's yeah. going to make this hard. And I think that Taylor Bratt is excellent at his job. I think he's excellent at generating enthusiasm about K-State and Manhattan. But the one thing that no one on the recruiting staff can do is, and no one on the coaching staff can do, is give answers. And if I were going into a college program the number one thing that I would want, even coming here as a normal student, the number one thing I wanted when going to a new place is answers. I don't want to go somewhere where I have uncertainty. Even if it is not directly in my life, even if it is something around me, I would want certainty. And that is going to be a massive hurdle with which to overcome in recruiting. Yeah, that... It's, it's going to be very tough because uh, it's also, um, it's just going to drag on this constant argument of is Kleiman good at recruiting or not? It's going to drag on. The answer is yes. I think he's at least a decent recruiter, and but it's just going to continue to drag on the argument if we struggle to get the high-level guys just because of the uncertainty of realignment. Because, because then it's going to be, like every single class has X excuse or Y excuse. Like 2019 was a scramble class. 2020 was COVID class. Uh, 2021 was also a COVID class. So then we have uh, the following classes are going to be realignment uncertainty. I mean, at some point, it, it just ha- you just have to recruit. But also, we can't really fully evaluate those older classes yet. Because, I mean, we have guys like Keenan Garbert from, I believe it was Kleiman's first class, who he's still technically only a redshirt freshman. He's listed as a redshirt sophomore, but eligibility-wise, he still has four years, I think. So so we may be worried about some guys not contributing yet that are young. But, I mean, there's a lot of guys from Bill Snyder classes that weren't playing until they were juniors. So yep. I would not worry too much about it yet. And ultimately, I still think that the staff is going to be able to recruit good guys because there's one thing that they have shown that they are able to do. It's identify talent. diamond, I, I, yeah, identify talent and athletic talent. And that's the big 
separator between Kleiman recruiting and uh, Snyder recruiting at the end of his tenure is that Snyder was great at identifying developmental talent, but he would go more for players that uh, um, had more of it. They got the game on a more football IQ level, but he wasn't necessarily going for He's going pure for athletes over athletes. Yes, exactly that. Um, hard workers over athletes, things like that. And the client philosophy, at least thus far, has been we're going, we want athletes everywhere. And I like, I prefer that personally because if you can take a good athlete with a decent understanding of the game and if you can hit on half of those guys, you're going to have a very, very athletic roster and it's going to be made up from a lot of diamonds in the rough. And just what he did, that was his MO at North Dakota State. Yeah, that's exactly what they did in North Dakota State. And we're starting to see that with some of the uh, the young guys. I mean, Deuce Vaughn, you can't quite call him a diamond in the rough, but he only had two other Power 5 offers, and he just dominated as a true freshman. So you could argue based just on a minimal amount of offers and uh, his early dominance that he could be considered a diamond in the rough. Guys like uh, Cooper Beebe, uh, he came in and contributed immediately. And then we're we're hearing good things about guys like DJ Giddens and RJ Garcia, Nate Matlack, and Nate Nate Matlack, Andrew Felix Lingang. yeah, Andrew Lingang, Felix DK. Those are all guys that are freshmen, I believe, and eligibility wise, yeah, freshman eligibility wise, and they're they're doing well early. So, I don't know. I I get the doom and gloom perspective. That's normally me, but I'm not ready to like call it in on recruiting or phone it in or whatever because uh Kleiman, he he can handle it i think like he can handle the adversity here yeah so final question and since we're talking about Jaden ham with the 2023 class of the four remaining names if you had to pick two that you think we're going to get so go with go with my number where i said i think we can get two of them which two do you think we're getting um off the top of my head, I think the two we are most likely to get would be Jaden Bender and Camden Beebe, followed very closely by Dylan Edwards, and then maybe a bit of a bigger gap with Avery Johnson. But I think that we do have good shots at all of them. But Avery Johnson, and that's going to be a tough recruitment. Yeah. Just because there's so many big names in that, and there may be more to enter that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. Ultimately, a lot of our success. And on the recruiting trail, if we have a good year this year, if we win nine games and we beat like an SEC school in a bowl game, that will do wonders. Or we can just win the Natty. That would also work. <laughs> that would that would do really well for recruiting, I think, if we won the national championship. <laughs> uh, that, that would do a lot of wonders for K-State period. But I think the two that we're most likely to get is BB and Edwards. Yeah, I think that's a fair perspective. The only reason I say Bender over Edwards is just because his recruitment's been a little bit more low profile. Hmm. And right now, it's just I worry about Big Ten or SEC schools getting involved and just lobbing ammunition about the instability of the Big 12 and just rocking the boat in that regard. Has Jaden Bender said decay you? Nah. Nah. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, we can... Go to a considerably brighter topic after that much doom and gloom. 
and that is more K-State press conferences. On today's slate of press conferences, uh, we're recording this on August 17th, so if there's more from when this comes out, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's tough, We'll I cover guess. them <laughs> next week. But on today's slate of press conferences that we will be covering at least is Skylar Thompson, quarterback, Joe Irvin, running back, Daniel Imatswar-Bebe, tight end, Noah Johnson, offensive lineman, offensive coordinator Courtney Messingham, which I was really excited to see, and then assistant head coach Van Malone. So let's start from the very top and talk about the press conference with Skylar Thompson. Actually, let's start with the general theme that all of these press conferences had in common. The team is together. Yep. And that that was uh, pretty apparent throughout all of the press conferences, even with some of the uh, other assistants, uh, that there's a, a sense of selflessness. Mm-hmm. I, I believe, was it Skyler, I think, that said it was the uh, most unself- yes, unselfless team? Yes, yeah, he was the, it was the most selfless team that he had ever been a part of. And it, it, that's refreshing to hear after a year where apparently locker room culture was was, very good. was at yeah, a, an all-time low. So just hearing that from a 60-year veteran, uh, Skylar Thompson, uh, it's, it's refreshing. And I, I believe him as well just because – and just even in, just from looking at the coaches, listening to them, seeing the players, every, everything just seems a little lighter hmm. uh, surrounding the year than last year. Because I think last year everybody was beaten up before the season even started, just mentally speaking. Yeah. But you could tell. Yeah, you can tell. I mean, Kleiman, like, like he looked like like physically like like it had taken a toll on him. The season had by the end, and then uh, I don't know. Just everyone seems a bit more upbeat this year and that that could go a long way just for on the field performance so. yeah because if you're playing together as a team it's you play who knew that playing as a team in a team sports a lot pr- produces a lot better results yep team chemistry yep team chemistry is a big thing so let's get into starting quarterback skylar thompson's press conference and first thing he said right off the bat this was the most enjoyable fall camp that he's had at k-state which He's had a lot of fall camps. He's at had K-State. a lot of them, so, so it, it isn't like a small sample size. He's had six of them. Yeah, that's a compliment. So <laughs> yeah, that's a big time compliment. I think this is year six of fall camp, or I guess five and a half if you count last year's. That's yeah, like, yeah, five and a half. Yeah, because last year's wasn't really a fall camp. So yeah, so I think that's that's big that it's been the most enjoyable he's had, and he seemed like he meant it. He didn't say like he didn't say it like I'm I'm legally obligated to say so, right. Um, then he has two notes specifically on how practices are going. He said they've been very, very high energy and up-tempo with everyone making plays but not being chippy and everyone being together, which, again, it's nothing but a, a good thing, especially that, that energy of being together. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't have much to add to that that we haven't already said. I mean... I, I I love that the the team is united and focused uh, on on just winning this year. Uh, fewer locker room distractions. Uh, the coaching staff 
set a multitude of times that they're going to use the transfer portal effectively and they they knew what they needed and it was culture fits and they put more emphasis on that this year than they ever had and it's clearly worse yeah for, for better for worse but at the very least in team chemistry it's working very well so far yep and then he gives a few remarkable shout outs as he said and the ones that he specifically shouted out as being remarkable, we're going to hop around the outline here. The offensive line is remarkable. Joe Irvin's doing great. Imator Bebe, Imator Bebe, dang it, <laughs> is a thinker and he's beginning to understand. And DJ Giddens actually got himself a shout out. So of those, because otherwise we're just going to be reading everything he said, of those, which do you think is the most significant? I'm torn between uh, the offensive line and uh Imatur Bebe. Uh, I love that the offensive line is doing well because we really saw them uh, start to figure it out by the end of last year. Those last two games uh, of last year, they were really blocking well. They're figuring it out, and we bring back everybody from that line. So uh, I'm I'm very high on the offensive line this year. Uh, But then, of course, you have Imatur Bebe. Uh, Which is my pick for the most significant. Yes, I think that that could end up being the most significant by the end of the year because we already knew the offensive line was very good. And a matter of we've we did see him perform really well at the open practice and we've heard a lot of chatter about him. But it's good to just get more reinforcement from the starting quarterback about uh, the starting tight end or the assumed starting tight end because a matter of at his hopefully full potential could be. Uh, he could be a difference maker. He, he. If it were baseball, he he would have an excellent war, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the most surprising part about it was DJ Giddens got a shutout. Yeah. Shutout. A sh- you have me thinking baseball now. Shout out. <laughs> DJ Giddens got a shout out, which is someone that you and I were both kind of impressed with at the open practice. Yeah, Giddens was a guy that uh, really shocked us at the open practice, and I think has been surprising a lot of people in the know. Uh, he's a true freshman. We're not sure if he's a walk-on or scholarship guy. I think we've established he's a scholarship guy at this point. I'm pretty sure it, it's kind of up in the air. There's conflicting sources. We'll say scholarship. We'll say but scholarship. He was a very late addition. Uh, he's out of Junction City, and we were his only offer, period, I think. I don't even think he had other D1 offers. And... He was a perfect example of this coaching staff and recruiting staff going and finding a pure athlete that just somehow went undiscovered and getting him in an our offer. Own backyard. Yeah, in our own backyard. Because Junction City is 30 minutes? If that. It might be less than that. But, but yeah, it's great that we were able to keep Giddens around, especially with how talented he is. And uh, I... Don't imagine we'll see too much of him this year with the trio of Deuce Vaughn, Joe Irvin, and uh, Jacardier Wright. But Giddens is a guy to keep an eye on for the future, especially if he's doing as well as we we seem to think that he's doing. Okay. So the the last note that we will have here before the, the choky little bit that's immediately following it on the outline is... Skyler spent time at length talking about how special the not only the on-the-field connection, but the off-the-field connection is between Malik Knowles and himself. And that special bond, I think, is something that 
cannot be understated in how big a year Malik Knowles was going to have. I still think that Bebe may outproduce him in terms of receiving, and that's just because I really like Bebe. It's not anything against Malik Knowles. Yeah. It's because I like Bebe. But I think that them having that that personal connection with one another on it being a much more a game, being it being much more than a game, I should say, will really help not only those two, but the team on the whole. Yeah, I I mean, you, you can never have too much of a quarterback and the number one receiver having a great connection. I mean, that's just that's just exactly what you want to hear from an outsider's perspective. Um, especially with um, most K-State fans, I don't want to say being frustrated with Malik Knowles because it's like his circumstances are all understandable uh, with what was, has been going on with him and then uh, his injury history. But uh, he he has such a high ceiling, and uh, I don't want to step over uh, this segment to something that Messingham said. Uh, but he, but Knowles, he he's uh, it's been I think they there are nine practices in for fall camp, and Knowles has had nine practices played, which I believe Messingham said or at the very least alluded to it being the most practices that he's ever had in a row at K-State which is absolutely huge so clearly uh that's just an indicator of him really locking in and then also maybe a uh, Tremaine Carroll's uh, strength and conditioning program yep. really helping him out and uh, getting him stronger where he needed to be yep I think that'll actually be an underrated part of Coach True's game I think it'll help really prevent a lot of injuries that kind of well, actually, the last thing that we want to mention was <laughs> someone asked a question about Imatur Bebe, and they always just said Daniel, and Skyler just looked at them and said, "You don't want to try his last name." <laughs> that's there's nothing to say about that. That's just funny. That's just funny. That's just really <laughs> funny. <laughs> it really isn't too hard once you say it enough, and also once you look at the pronunciation guide on the roster. <laughs> yeah, once you have the answers in front of you, it's not hard. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So the next press conference is Joe Irvin, which is the running back who, barring some catastrophe, will be behind Deuce Vaughn this year. Or a ridiculous uptick in play from Joe Irvin. Joe Irvin, he didn't have, I'm not going to say he didn't have anything to say, but he had relatively little to say, and I think that might just be his personality, which is fine. I'm perfectly, everything he said was good, so... He also had the shortest press conference out of anyone I saw, which, yeah. again, I think is just his personality, which is fine. He he seemed like a really cool guy in the... He didn't have the my favorite press conference by far, but I'd say he, he made himself very likable, which, who cares what a random podcast guy I think is likable. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so he the, the three things that I think are... that all kind of merged together were... Most of the questions were about him sitting out last year. So he said, sitting out last year sucked. He always wanted to come back to KSU, and Chris Kleiman and Van Malone are both very supportive of him. Okay, it sucked that it sucked, but he's past it now. It's great that he never considered leaving K-State, even though he opted out. Yeah, that that's the thing that really surprised me, is because he's the only player that opted out that returned to K-State. So that that's a rarity because a lot of those guys they opted out and probably just didn't have intentions of coming back. Never coming back. 
But Joe Irvin looks like he actually may have used the opt-out for what it was intended to be. And uh, I just opted out due to uh, concerns about the COVID environment. And now he's back. And I'm very happy that we have him back because I think he could be a dynamic complement to Deuce Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially just based on uh, what he was saying or what what has been said about how fast he plays. Mm-hmm. He hits the hole and he's gone. Yes. Because I, I believe he said that he um, has been clocked in pads at running somewhere in the 21 to 22 mile per hour range. Which, that's uh, okay. That's that, fast. That is <laughs> Very fast. For reference, that's around where Tyreek Hill is running yeah. at. So that is unbelievable game speed. <laughs> but yeah, that that's... What we took away from Joe Urban is he's fast and the coaches are very supportive of everyone in the program, which I think will help more and more people buy in, which I think you'll have a lot more people doing this year. I think that the first few years were always going to be rough, especially with A, a scramble class and B, a lot of Bill Snyder recruits going into someone who I think not necessarily has the opposite philosophy, but a very different philosophy in Chris Kleiman. So, yeah. And then we get to talk about the person who I think had my favorite press conference just because it, just looking at, it's Daniel E. Matsuorbebe, tight end. Just the way that he conducted himself in the interview was really, it made you like him. Yeah, he... It was very likable he, the entire yeah, press conference. He carried himself as, like, like he... He's been here before. Yeah, like, like he he was the, a true veteran, um, and like he, like he answered his questions like one like this was clearly not his first rodeo, and he 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 knew what to say, and he also felt very authentic, and uh, he had a lot of really interesting answers, and I think that uh, his answers uh, reflect what a uh, Skyler said about him because Skyler called him a thinker. And uh, Imada Baby clearly is a very thoughtful guy. Yeah. Like, he, he's, he knows what he wants to say, and he, he's just going to put it out there. And, uh, yeah, he, I think he was my favorite press conference as well. I really liked what he had to say. Yeah. So, it, it comes, to the, the two things that, we'll, we'll break this down into two things, and then one and one. So, the first two things are, the this is the best team feeling he's had in any of his camps and also the k-state playbook is very different than anyone else's and i want to focus on the first thing because the second thing is fine yeah take it for what it is this man has been on like four different teams (laughs) yeah i i literally do i think this is his fourth team because he started at usc i believe went to then he went to florida and then he went to illinois yeah so this is his fourth team. So this is his fourth team. So he's been in a lot of different places. and Two of those schools are famous for the buy-in that they get from their players. Yeah. and Don't if... look into that too much for USC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah the, don't read into that. <laughs> <laughs> don't read into that. But, but yeah, hearing that out of uh, Imater Bebe, um, it's, it's uh, comforting as a fan. Uh, and it also just... Uh, drives home the point that was like like we said at the beginning it was the major theme of all these press conferences that there's a 
a uh, great uh, brotherhood. Yeah, a great brotherhood. A lot of chemistry on this team, uh, and they're going into this season uh, truly feeling like a like a unit. And uh, you you have to be happy to hear that, especially from a guy like Daniel Matterbebe, because. I mean, he's in like his sixth year already without his super senior season. So he, he's been around the block, and he has no reason to lie about stuff like that. Like, like, like he he wouldn't outwardly say like like team chemistry is bad, but he would just wouldn't mention it. Yeah, he he would either find a way to not mention it, or just kind of say, oh, it's it's okay. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's very telling. Because I think just about everyone who gave a press conference was very genuine. But I think Yamatsu Bebe was the most genuine. Which really makes it comforting with the third point that any tight end would love this offense. So, Braden Lofton, if you're listening, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and on, I, th- I think he's right. I think we, I think we already agreed with that uh, yeah. before he said this. But, I mean, just look at the difference in how tight ends are utilized in this offense comparatively to how tight ends were utilized in Bill Snyder's offense, where it felt like at least from, like, 2015 to 2018, tight ends had, like, four or five receptions total. And then we had, I know there was one season in there, I can't recall which one, where tight ends not have a single reception for the entire year. So it's complete night and day difference with, uh, climbing and Messingham, they love using tight ends in the passing game while still utilizing them as run blockers. So he blocks. Th- yeah, he blocks. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, because you have Wheeler, uh, then you've had uh, Briley Moore last year, and then you have guys waiting in the wings like uh, Connor Fox and Will Swanson. So this is a great tight end room, and and Daniel Matterbebe, he's been. In a lot of different offenses. So if he's saying that his tight end is going to love this offense, he would probably know best. Yeah. And then he ended off on a note. He's saying, no one has really seen what he can do. Which, when writing it, seems really cocky. But the way that he said it was not cocky. It was more, hey, I've been injured a lot. Yeah, it was honestly, it was sadder than it was cocky. Yeah. Like, <laughs> because it was just him saying that he's he's never really been 100% or... Uh, he hasn't been 100% much on the field. And he he knows that people haven't seen him uh, at his full potential much on the field and that he has a lot more to show than he has so far. And uh, I, I like hearing that from him because it, it shows that he's hungry, I think. Like, he, he wants to have a successful year. And I th- I'm ready to gear up for a good Amater Bebe season or a great Amater Bebe season. Yeah. And... Heisman. Yeah, Heisman, Heisman for a tight end. Has well, that... actually, no, because then he'd be taking it from Skyler, and I wouldn't be able to say Skyisman. You're right. So, I'm, I mean, he could take third, though, behind Skyler and Deuce. Yeah, obviously. So Malik uh, is fourth. Yeah, Malik is fourth. Can, we just, can we just make an offensive lineman fifth just for fun? BB's fifth. Yeah, BB's fifth. <laughs> there you go. You have our, our ballot that we 100% get. Yep. <laughs> so... Let's move on to Noah Johnson, the elder statesman on the offensive line. And I kind of break this down into three things again. So one of which is a more team-oriented part. He said it himself. He is on a 
they are on a tour of revenge for a season that was below expectations last year. And let me tell you, if there is one thing that motivates a team, it is revenge. And I can tell you this just from a high school perspective. Because there were games in between years that some, one team lost they shouldn't have lost. Whether it be Pittsburgh or someone else they were facing. I'm thinking of one game in particular. It's a one in one series from before and after I left. Um, let's just say that the second game, who we were playing, had a very big incentive to get revenge on us. And they absolutely pantsed us. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know who you're talking about because I think I may have been at that game. It was before and after I left, so you may not have been. Oh, maybe not. Maybe not. Oh, okay, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, revenge is a great motivator for a football team. And I think that him coming out and saying that, because that's not something that a lot of people will just come out and say. I think no. that that's a genuine motivator for everyone on the team. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love hearing Noah Johnson say that. I mean, he was a guy that the coaches made it clear they really wanted him back for his uh, his super senior season. And uh, <laughs> You married? You, you married? How did you feel when, you she, feel said when yes? she said yes? It needs to be on a t-shirt, man. That, that could be a t-shirt. Aggieville Alley Cats t-shirt. We'll have to ask Connor Riley for permission for that. But Noah Johnson, uh, I, I love hearing that... Uh, we're on a tour of revenge this year. I I can get on that bandwagon, and uh, he's kind of he seems like a pretty chippy player to me. Like he he's chirping down on the offensive line. He seems like that kind of guy, and uh, I, I I like to to think of him as having a pretty sizable chip on his shoulder uh, going into this year, especially against some of the teams that beat us that maybe shouldn't have. Just about everyone. Yeah, but pretty much all of them. So <laughs> I mean. Yeah, and then the next thing that I'll say is kind of grouping everything together and kind of glossing over it. Not to gloss over it, but team chemistry is good. Offensive line is motivated to be great, and camp has been great for the O-line. Good. Nothing but good. We all know those things. Yeah, that's great. And then an offensive player took time to compliment a defensive player, and that is a defensive player that we've been hearing a lot about, and that is Timmy Horn. He does not like blocking Timmy Horn. Because it's difficult. <laughs> Which, that's that's exactly what we wanted from Timmy Horn. Because uh, losing Drew Wiley uh, this offseason, that was a, I think it's an underrated loss. I think uh, it's the most underrated loss. Yeah, because he, he was a force on the inside for us. And he made pass rush a lot easier just with the... Uh, uh, By virtue of existing. Yeah, yeah, just the chaos he was able to enact on the interior line that made the... Uh, job a lot easier for the pass rushers on the edge so timmy horn filling in that role maybe even being a little bit better uh, or more more efficient uh in that spot than than wiley uh you love to hear that especially from an offensive lineman going out of his way to talk about defensive linemen so that, that's kind of noah johnson he was i think the second shortest press conference behind joe Irvin. so now we get to talk about the coach press conferences starting with offensive coordinator Courtney Messingham. And this was perhaps the press conference that I was most excited to hear for. I, I wish it was longer than like eight minutes or what it was. I wish it was a lot longer than what it was. And he said that one of the most important aspects of their offense that they need to improve on is being a threat downfield and making big plays. 
Now, while I disagree with his assessment that that is the most important area for the offense to improve on, I think red zone offense was by far the most, the area with which we needed to improve most. I think that improves by virtue of having Skyler though, so maybe there. I get can get behind just based off of what he wants the offense to do. I can understand where he's coming from with we need to be a threat downfield. Yeah, I I totally agree um, because Messingham's a gap power uh, offense uh, to make to make that engine go, you have to be able to keep uh, the defense honest. And if we're not going to be a downfield threat, that's going to really hurt the running game because if we're not going to threaten a team over the top, then why why not just uh, don't just play single high, just drop yeah. the safety down. Yeah, Who just, cares? They're not going to beat us deep. Yeah, just bring your defense closer to the offensive line and stop the run too. And then all of a sudden you have a zero-dimensional offense because yeah. you oh can't do boy. anything. Oh boy. <laughs> so I I do agree that uh, it has to be a threat. I do agree with your assessment that we have to finish in the red zone as well. But and, and that's probably the most important uh, thing that we can do, or most important improvement that we can make. But Messingham, he uh, he's right. We need to be more explosive, and we need to be able to get the ball downfield more. Yeah. Then he named two sets of leaders for two different rooms, Cooper Beebe and Noah Johnson for the offensive line, and then Malik Knowles and Landry Weber are the leaders of the wide receiver room. And B.B. and Johnson were both predictable. He mentioned Johnson is a leader no matter the group. That, that, was, that was predictable. Knowles could have been predictable for the wide receiver room, especially coming with all the news. I think the big surprise in the name of those specifically team leaders was Landry Weber. And that's no disrespect to Landry Weber, but of all the names that you would expect to hear in a leader of a room list, I'm not sure Landry Weber would have been the first person to think of in that room. Yeah, I I agree. Which I'm glad he is. Yeah, I'm glad he's there as well. But he is kind of an interesting pick for uh, being a leader in the receiver room. You may expect somebody like Shabaston Taylor, like a a senior guy. I would expect Seabass. Yeah. Seabass or Howell or Cade. Yeah, some of those older guys. But uh, uh, Knowles we can expect. But yeah, Weber... Uh, it is good to see somebody step up and uh, take control. And Weber, um, he does have a bit of a different role in that receiver room than Knowles. Uh, Weber, he a lot of times will come in to do some blocking on the he outside. Blocks. He blocks. Maybe that should be the t-shirt. He blocks. Just, he blocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not a bad shirt. But BB and Johnson, love to hear that. I also love the... Uh, uh, the uh, the difference between those two Johnson with the, the super senior and BB, the ultra young uh, offensive yeah. lineman. So if you already have him stepping up to be a leader at such a young age, that's really encouraging for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing that I, I got, I got to licking my chops just schematically was he said that we have to use deuce. Oh, wow. Really? In what way? No, we're going to potentially motion him out to play wide receiver. This that interests me. This fascinates me. And the reason he said was because it creates such a massive disadvantage for the defense. Because you have two options. You put a defensive back on him. And I'm assuming we have Joe Irvin in this package. Yes. You put a defensive back on him. 
and you run the risk of him just outmuscling the defensive back because Deuce is stronger than a defensive back. Right. Or just running Papa J. Orphan. Yeah. Or you put a middle linebacker on him and then get toasted on an angle route. Just ask Texas Tech. Yep. Or if for some reason you don't feel like toasting a linebacker on that day, uh, you've just taken a player out of the box. Yeah. So, also a run to Joe Irvin. Yeah, I mean, I think that the one-two punch of just... I kind of called this that Deuce was going to be motioned out as a receiver a bit more, just because I think that that upside is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, we saw that, like you said, at the Texas Tech game uh, in particular, um, because... um, I, that was not the initial read. I remember he- hearing that. I think it was an interview with Will Howard um, after that game. That was not the first read on the play, but he just made that read at the line of scrimmage, which, thank God. Like, <laughs> wait, like wait a minute. Deuce Vaughn's good at football. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they motioned Deuce out into the slot, and Texas Tech, in their infinite wisdom, put a linebacker on him. And, <laughs> and lived to regret the decision. Yes, and Will Howard has eyeballs, and he was like, there seems to be a mismatch here. <laughs> and we won the game because of it. So the offense, they know they can put Deuce out there and have him be an excellent mismatch. And they also know that motion, I think they know that motioning Deuce and just utilizing him pre-snap, moving him around in any sort of way, that's just going to make the defense anxious because they know that he's capable of, as it says in the outline, capable of everything. And just having him moving around in some veil of uncertainty, it's going to be the best comparison I can think of that a lot of people I think can relate to is when the Chiefs are just moving Tyreek Hill around yeah. and pre-snap. He's just kind of motioning um, out and about. And obviously the defense is going to panic because what are they going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> but I, I love Deuce uh, being utilized more as not just a weapon on the outside, but also he's an excellent decoy in that regard as well, especially if he is really successful out of the slot. Because at that point, you have to cover him everywhere, and it, he may be worth a, a double cover at some point. Let, let me let me paint a dream picture for you, right? Right. So you got a split backfield. I swear this is a transition to the next segment. You have a split backfield, right? Right. Your outside receivers are Malik Knowles yeah. and Tyrone Howell. Okay. And you have Bebe playing tight end. Right. And you motion Deuce into the slot on Malik Knowles' side. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, wow. I want you to, just for a moment, I don't, if we don't see that, I'm going to be genuinely sad. I can literally see that in my NCAA 14 playbook on the Xbox 360. <laughs> I, I, literally, I literally see it just line up Deuce in the slot on shotgun Y trips. Knowles <laughs> <laughs> and Deuce on one side, Bebe tight end on the other side with Howell, uh, far side, and then just have Irvin or Jacardier or Giddens or jacks to mean who cares <laughs> screw it we're bringing in jacks but that was actually meant to be a transition for courtney messingham's thoughts on tyrone howell who he called a work in progress with expectations to play this year which kind of goes off of what Clement said calling him quote, the real deal yep and i it's kind of a shame that we didn't get him sooner 
so he could have immediately stepped in. But that being said, I, at first I was kind of apprehensive about the Tyrone Howell hype, but the more and more that the season goes on, the more and more I think, wait a minute, this guy, he might be really good. <laughs> yeah, Howell, he, he may ultimately end up being the X factor for this team if for no other reason than he can finally be the compliment to Malik Knowles on the outside that we've been desperately needing. Because yeah. Trevastin Taylor, he is only just recovering from his injury, so we can't really count on him, at least for the first few weeks. And But, but you put Howell out there, and as, as another legitimate big play threat on the outside with great hands uh, and a, a big frame, that all of a sudden makes life a little easier for everybody on the offense. And yeah, that that can just elevate this offense to an even higher level than I think they can already play at. Because I'm I'm very high on this offense, but having Howell in there, even if he doesn't have statistically an unbelievable like all conference season, he he can still make an incredible impact through his presence alone. Yeah, and then two notes on the tight ends of the room, Bebe, he blocks. He blocks. And Sammy Wheeler is, he called, Messingham called him more of a backside tight end, which, fair. If you're going to be a number two tight end, you can be a backside tight end. That's fine. Yeah, that's, yep. I have nothing else to say about that. (laughs) And then he, the last thing we'll say is, again, another offensive coach or offensive mind complimenting the defensive side of the ball, saying that Khalid Duke is very twitchy and Timmy Horn is creating a lot of problems for the offense. Which, again, another Timmy Horn reference from an offensive, as you said, offensive mind. And I like hearing that uh, Khalid Duke has been uh, looking really good so far. Because uh, pass rush, it's we're, we're not concerned about depth at DN, but just quality at the top, yeah. I think, is the main thing. And so if we can have just one of them be good, that makes things a lot easier for everybody. It's, it's like Howell. If we, we just need one guy to really be good, just get close to Y Hubert levels of performance, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they may start drawing double teams occasionally, and that means that everyone else, they may not have to face a double team. They may end up going one-on-one, and things make it a little easier for them because blocking schemes may have to change because of a guy like Khalid Duke. Yep. He can make life a lot easier for a lot of people if he performs at the level that I think that he can. Yeah, and the, the number one thing that I think of is whenever you say drawing the drawing double teams from the defensive end spot, number one thing I think of is how much we love the slot corner blitz. Yes. So if we can draw a double team on the edge and then just bring around the slot corner, yeah, I, I think that the slot yeah. corner, whether it be Amaris Brown, Reggie Stubblefield, if he's subbing in, I genuinely think that the slot corner... For a team, no matter who it be, or whichever ones we get, we'll probably get two or three sacks in multiple QB hits just based off of the virtue of having a decent edge rusher. Right. Um, I, I'm, I love the idea of um, once Duke starts to become more dominant, just bringing Amaris Brown in off the edge and just have him come in, maybe even unblocked in some cases. Light him up. See yeah. that? No, just bring TJ Smith in on one of those blitzes. I don't know if I want to get ejected for targeting. 
I mean, he was really towing the line points last year before he got hurt. Yeah, I mean... He will be ejected at some point in his career. I, I'm calling it now. Over under three. Um, I'm going to say three exactly. You're going to push? Yeah. Okay, I'll take the over. Okay. Um, so that leads us to the final press conference that we have as of today's date, and that is assistant head coach Van Malone. And first thing he said, 2020 was very different from this year. He said different. He didn't say better, but I assume he meant better. (laughs) Yeah, and who could imagine that uh, the worst year of our lifetime is is a little different than this one. I'm honestly kind of tired of living through major world events. We've We've had quite a few in our lifetimes, haven't we? I mean, I was born in 99, and basically everything bad has happened in my at least. Like, lots of bad stuff's been going on. Yeah, I was born in 2000, so... You, you, you and I have... You have you get to experience, like, Y2K, I guess. When I was four months when old, four I guess. Old. But that's neither here nor there. The worst year of both of our lives, I think, definitively, we can say. I hope nothing tops it. But the, the worst year of our lives is this is going to be a better year, which it has been. So... Yeah good <laughs> that's excellent to hear i'm glad that you're you're having a, at least a different year coach malone yeah <laughs> and the next few notes are about leadership older players not being selfish and keeping the younger guys on track the leadership being a great aspect of this team and he said that this is very much a player-led team which i feel may rub some olds the wrong way yeah i I, I don't cringe when I hear that at all. I see I can get why some people might because they'll hear that and think lack of leadership from the coaching staff, but that I think that's more an indication of confidence from the coaching staff and their veterans to yeah. properly lead the team. I mean, when you have veterans like Skyler and J-Mac and uh, uh, Noah Johnson, uh, when you when you have those guys on your roster, yeah, you're gonna have you're gonna have some confidence in their ability to lead the team because those guys have been around for they they've been here for a while and they they know what's going on especially J Mac and especially Skyler yep. those those guys know what it what it takes and they especially Skyler that he's seen some successful teams in his time at K State I believe he was class of 2016 that year they went nine and four I'm pretty sure and the following year they they were seven and five but. Uh, they were they were a razor's edge from beating a Baker Mayfield led OU squad, and then 2019 another good year. It was a eight and, and five, five because uh, we lost to Liberty. Bowl. Yeah, and they were a razor's edge from ten and two. Stop bringing up the I, <laughs> that was the bowl game we played in. I don't care, <laughs> but but yeah, they're, they're perfect leaders for for this squad, and Skyler knows that he can that he can use uh, the, the fear of the Liberty Bowl to motivate the players and to play I'm better. I'm not going back. I'm he's not, he's going, not back. going back. <laughs> so, and, and that's not to say, he also clarified and made certain that everyone knew that it was not a lack of leadership from the coach's perspective. He was very realistic in the sense that we can tell them what they want, what we want, rather, and the players extend that message, and then add on to it in their own way, which I'm all for, especially because it, it establishes a level. 
it demonstrates rather a level of trust between coach and player. Yep, that, that's that's perfect. I think you you took the words right out of my mouth with trust, and uh, it it's a great message from the coaches to the players, especially after a uh, tumultuous year last year in the locker room, for them to be able to still have that level of trust in the guys. Uh, that that that's pretty impressive, I think, because I think maybe a lot of coaching staffs may overreact in a situation like that and then uh, become overbearing. But it's good to see that they still have confidence in uh, their squad and their locker room and their own players to uh, uh, be accountable. Mm-hmm. So the next thing that he mentioned was about the transfer portal, which these two notes go together. The transfer portal is changing, and it's certainly making things, as he put it, more interesting. He said there will be some tough days, and coaches need to be there and know how to deal when players are having tough days. And that is probably the most sobering take that I've heard from a coaching perspective. Because a lot of people will, a lot of coaches especially, will say, oh, the transfer portal is changing. And you can kind of tell that they're not happy about it at all. Right. Van Malone, Van Malone strikes me as a guy who's just a realist. He understands what's going to happen. He understands the cause and effect of certain actions. He understands that they're going to have to be there to deal with it. And I think that was the most important part of it. If what he says is true and he follows through with it, I think it is entirely realistic that K-State ends up having much fewer transfers out than we have had in the past few years. Because I'm willing to give a mulligan on the past few years. Yeah, I I am as well. Because, uh, I mean, with any new coaching staff, there is going to be some turnover and some guys from the the previous uh, regime that... Uh, just don't vibe with the new staff and they're going to want to look somewhere else. And that's understandable because it's not the staff that recruited them. Yeah. And uh, then 2020 that we know that was tough on everybody. It was the first year of the expanded transfer portal. And it, it wasn't just K-State. K-State actually had a ever so slightly above average retention rate. Uh, I was going to talk about departures. Oh, uh, they, their departure rate was slightly higher than average. And, the only difference was that a lot of our departures were so early, mm-hmm. which I think is what made a lot of people panic. But ultimately, K-State did not, they, they weren't really any different than a lot of other programs were in the transfer portal. And I think as the portal's around more, I, I think we're going to get used to it and coaches will get used to it as well. So, and that's exactly what Van Malone's saying here is that, uh, uh, they need to know how to, uh, to handle players, um, Especially guys that may be more prone to wanting to transfer, especially when it's so easy. Yeah. Then the next bit that we're we're jumping around here, the next bit he talked about was, we'll call it realignment and recruiting. So the first thing he said, not the first thing he said, but first thing we'll talk about is, realignment is not a distraction for current team members because they're here, which is amazing to hear. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially for the older guys, the veterans. Because they're going to look at realignment and say, well, the Big 12 is still here while I'm here. So how does that affect me? Mm-hmm. And the younger guys, they're looking at it and saying, well, I'm here right now. I'm in the Big 12. I picked this school for a reason. And uh, some some dumb schools doing some dumb stuff 
Yeah. That's not going to make me like K-State any less. And they're just going to put their head down and work and focus yeah. on playing the games in front of them. Yep. And then he had two really, really telling notes on recruiting. He said that recruiting, the number one thing is about overcoming the stereotypes. I'm paraphrasing when I say the word stereotypes. With, of Manhattan, Kansas. Which is something that we asked, I asked, Taylor Bratt on a, a Bosco's Boys live show. Shout out Bosco's Boys and shout out Taylor Bratt. He said that the most important part of recruiting is getting kids to Manhattan, Kansas. So they don't see the Snapchat filter like I sent you that one day that I insisted is real. Where it is, welcome to the middle of nowhere, Kansas. Which, by the way, they did change the billboard to, that's Willie, that's Willie Fun. They changed the billboard. So they listen. <laughs> well, that's good. Because, um... Uh, marketing your town as the middle of nowhere is not conducive to getting people to want to be there. So, yeah, I, uh, hmm, I want to go play football in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. That's yeah. not how you endear yourself yeah, to yeah, so anybody. I think very, very few people have actually said that. So, um, and and he is right. It, it does suck to hear, but a lot of people are going to have uh, preconceived notions about Manhattan. Especially if they aren't from the state or from the area. They've never been to Manhattan before. And we know that a lot of recruits leave Manhattan saying it was not what I expected. You know, it wasn't what I expected. I Like, it was different. Yeah. Because... Stubby is the first example. Yeah. Like, they, uh, they, they probably get to Manhattan and they're expecting flat, like, wheat fields everywhere. And while there are certainly some, some wheat fields... <laughs> there are some wheat fields. Manhattan is generally not very flat at all no. actually not pretty hilly it's not lawrence hilly but it's okay lawrence is basically just riding sound waves so calm down <laughs> okay yeah that's true it, it, they're just so steep they're so steep especially on ku campus oh we got the ku cams <laughs> ku cams everybody and there's art everywhere stop mocking them <laughs> we have a new airport coming uh, they're never living it down but <laughs> I think that that's very important that he notes it, that recruiting, it's about getting over the stereotypes of Manhattan, Kansas. And in terms of realignment and recruiting, he noticed that it's completely different from the team members, but they're not hiding from it. And he said the same pitch that Chris Kleiman did. We're going to be in the spotlight no matter where we are, which it's as good an answer as he can give because... He has no other answers. Uh, there is, there's nothing else that you can say in this situation, I think, other than selling that K-State has a great and dedicated and loyal fan base, which... He did. Yes. And I think that's true. I think K-State has an excellent fan base. And... We wouldn't, we wouldn't have a fan base as Doomer as we did if we didn't also have a very great fan base. Yeah. Because we have expectations. <laughs> yes. Because, yeah, so many fans are so doom and gloom because they care and they want the team to be good. So that that's a mark of a fan base that really cares and really wants the team to be good. And with a fan base like that, attention comes as well. Mm-hmm. So that that's a great answer from them, especially because, like you said, what else are they going to say? Because yeah. especially hiding from it, that, that would be the worst possible thing to do. They... It's something that they have to tackle head on. They can't avoid it because that'll just make them look even worse. 
in the eyes of recruits. I can see how the interpret. I can see how people interpret it. Just to play devil's advocate, I can see people interpreting the "we'll be in the spotlight no matter where we are" as hiding from it, but I don't see it that way. Yeah, I, I don't either. I, I see that um, as them. Well, recruits they they want to be seen because the they're they're going to pick a school where they will have the best chance to develop uh, into a better athlete, at least most of the time, uh, develop into a better athlete and hopefully make it to the NFL. And a lot of that comes with being seen. And while this isn't as big of a deal as it used to be in uh, the age of huddle and and just easily distributable film Mm -hmm. and uh, streaming, so pretty much every game's on TV anyways, um, uh, exposure is still important to a certain degree, and K State they'll they'll find themselves in the spotlight one one way or another. No matter where they end up, K State will still have a, a a loyal fan base. I mean, just look at the TV numbers from last year. Uh, K State um had excellent TV ratings, even though we were awful. <laughs> even though we weren't good, we had K State had very good TV ratings, and they actually were up from recent years, which. I don't believe it was a common trend. Uh, Casey uh, trended up in TV ratings. So, yep. uh, yeah, it's good that they're attacking it. And then he mentioned a few players. Morris Brown being really exciting to watch, and he's also playing multiple positions, so he's not just going to play nickel corner, which, cool. Oh, I'm that, always down for, yeah, for an fine. athlete. Green and Fletcher having great camps at linebacker. Kleiman said the same thing. And then the birth of a nickname that I will be referring to him exclusively as now, TJ the Wasp Smith. He's <laughs> coming off of injury and is doing great. And we'll get into the linebacker room in a second. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about TJ Smith. He earned the Wasp because he's he hits people. And it hurts. Stings. <laughs> he stings. He stings him. Stings. As Van Malone put it. And I think that TJ Smith, even if he might not get a lot of snaps and coverage, I think that there's genuinely a, a chance that he rotates in on maybe bigger packages where we have a nickel playing, a safety playing nickel rather than a true nickel corner. And I think that that is having an enforcer on your defense is very good given that they can still tackle and I think Jerron McPherson has been that enforcer on the defense for the past couple years the wasp is stepping in to be that yeah for the future yeah I I love uh that uh the wasp has been a good enough to be given a nickname by Van Malone so hopefully it sticks and uh um, I don't know, T.J. Smith was a guy that I was really high on uh, early in last year. He he was just performing really well, especially in that Texas Tech game. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he, he got hurt and his season was cut short. But I don't know, I'm really looking forward to see how he uh, uh, bounces back this year and uh, uh, earns his nickname. Yep. And he also said the returners have a lot of depth, which, yeah, fair. It's K-State. We're going to have lots of depth yeah. at return. And then the most interesting part of the entire press conference when it comes to the on the field product something that you and i or i don't think anyone really expected to hear the linebackers 
not the secondary, is the room leading the team in interceptions. That's shocking. Um, how many of those are Wayne Jones? Got to be a lot of them. It, it has to be, it right? It almost has to be. Because I can't imagine that many of them are getting many interceptions. Maybe the exception are Daniel Green. Just because of the athleticism. Yeah, he could, uh, yeah he's really athletic. Um, maybe he's just good in zone, but... Yeah, that's absolutely shocking to me that linebackers are leading the team in interceptions. Maybe that just says that we're running a lot of over-the-middle concepts in the passing game. And we're doing a decent job defending them? Yeah, which, I mean, that's encouraging. I mean, like, I'm not mad. Just surprised. I'm very surprised. In fact, I, I kind of did a double take when I first heard it, because all I heard was backers. So I'm like, that's kind of weird that he's calling defensive backs defensive backers. So I, I reround the video. I'm like, oh, no, he said linebackers. Are you sure? <laughs> maybe he misspoke, but maybe doubt it. Maybe we're just under, underestimating the linebackers, or maybe they're just having a oddly good camp. Who knows? Well, we'll figure out soon. Guess, guess we'll figure it out. Yeah, just a couple weeks out. So so that, that pretty well wraps up all of the, the camp stories. So key takeaways, like we said at the very beginning, it is a team environment with a lot of senior leaders, with a bunch of people who have a lot of potential, such as Malik Knowles and Imats Rebebe and Joe Irvin. Also, motioning, motioning, motioning Deuce out to the slot. That's that's worth its own note. <laughs> yeah. Um, not a ton of super surprising stuff. Um, thing, a lot of things that I liked to, um, liked hearing. Uh, I mean, the linebackers, the team, and interceptions, that was probably the most exciting thing that we heard by a long shot but i know i loved hearing noah johnson talk about how they're on a revenge tour this year it was nice seeing joe irvin again uh, matter baby had an excellent press conference um i don't know i it, it's just I'm, I'm i really enjoy these just because it just shows that we're getting closer just every day we're just inching a little closer to finally playing real football again in front of big crowds and i i couldn't be more excited Stanford's going to be a great game. Yes. I am so excited for the Stanford game. You and I will both be there. Yeah, we'll both Separately, be there. Separately. Separ- we'll both be there. Yeah, we're not there together, but we will be there. So, well, I'll bring my Bosco's Boys koozie, I guess. So Maybe we'll have our own t-shirts by then. Maybe. There's a chance. We might. We may. Who's to say? Who's to say? But that pretty well leads us into... What a lot of what has become a lot of people's favorite part of the show, the wacky segment of the week. And last week we talked about making up a new college football rivalry, but we're just going to do something completely different this time around. And we're going to be talking about which college football quarterback would have their own signature meal and what would it be? And we also prefaced, before the show, it cannot be Sam Howell, who is the North Carolina quarterback who, and I quote, has mostly eaten chicken nuggets and tenders and one hot dog throughout his entire life. <laughs> All I will say is that it is true, and I did not believe it until you showed me. Look it up. It's true. It's true. Yeah, Sam Howell... Chicken tenders, chicken nuggets, just look that up. Sam Howell, chicken tenders. You can just look up chicken. 
Maybe a little bit more specific than that. <laughs> but there I don't know, maybe if you scroll a few pages you'll find it. But first round quarterback only eats chicken yeah, tenders and un- nuggets. It's unbelievable that he is the level of athlete that he is while eating almost exclusively just fried chicken. It's kind of remarkable, isn't it? It, it is. It's almost admirable. It is admirable, I'd say. I would 100% say I respect it. Yeah. I, I think you kind of have to, right? Because, I mean, you can be a little bit mad about it because you could wish that you could do that. But at the end of the day, if you have the opportunity to just eat chicken, fried chicken tenders and chicken nuggets for the rest of your life and be in the shape of a first-round NFL draftee, <laughs> Who's not going to take that deal? All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'd love to have Canes forever <laughs> with no repercussions. <laughs> You're not Spencer Rattler, buddy. No, I'm not Spencer Rattler. I only wish I was for the Canes deal. That, Nothing else. I, I don't care about anything else. Don't be Spencer Rattler. But the Canes deal. Don't. Anyway. <laughs> but the Canes deal. <laughs> so, I think I have... My answer. You want me to go first? What are you thinking yours? Yes, I do want you to go first. So, I'm going to stick in the Big 12, and I think the person most likely to have their own meal in the Big 12 is Brock Purdy. And listen, (laughs) hear me out. Hear me out, alright? Okay. So, Brock Purdy's meal is available for one month of the year, right? Right. It is available during October. The Brocktober burger? It's not the Brocktober burger, but you're actually very close. It is basically a kid cuisine. <laughs> okay. But <laughs> instead of, you know, your typical like chicken nuggets, brownie, you get cornbread. Cornbread. You get you get you get you get cornbread, you get two miniature sliders that each have every liquid condiment known to man on them. So you get mustard, (laughs) ketchup, relish, and mayonnaise on these two little itty-bitty baby sliders. (laughs) When I thought, I I didn't think Brock Birdie could be made worse. and And then you have four little star gummies. No, wait, actually five, because five-star culture. They're five-star culture. Pro, yeah, they're they're five five-star star culture. culture. <laughs> what did you think I was going to say when I said Brock Purdy? I, I don't know, but he was my first uh, target for thinking of a uh, of a uh, signature meal. For Is this inspired by the McDonald's stuff? It was yes. so weedy. Yes. <laughs> I, I figured. But yeah, Brock Purdy has a kid cuisine with two sliders... Five star fruit snacks and a piece of cornbread, <laughs> and it's and we're not talking about good sliders. They're like the most mediocre sliders in the world. And if you try to get them at any time other than October, or if you ever try to get them in Manhattan, they're spoiled and disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, gosh, I I have a couple ideas i'll I'll allow you to have multiple for this one because it's such an off-the-wall concept okay as long as you don't say mike gundy i cannot because (laughs) it's college football quarterback but we have to make sure people know we're not bringing mike gundy into this i mean like if 
if Jameis Winston were still in college, I mean, the obvious answer would be, uh, what was it, that he always had crawfish? The crab legs. The crab legs. That's a W. That's a W. <laughs> He'd be the obvious answer, but unfortunately he's in the NFL now, so can't be him. Um, I don't know. I'm tempted to say something like DJ Uyagalele at Clemson and have, like, some sort of, like, pineapple based meal like you could say to his little brother and he has to have a like a six ounce he has to have a six ounce sirloin with a pineapple slice on top of it that could be two has to have 12 though that that could be fun the disrespect (laughs) then um gosh i'm trying to think about who else i was even considering brock purdy was one of the other guys what was your meal for brock purdy i'm curious um i was just gonna have it be the brocktober burger like, like that, was, that was the ultimate idea. Like, that's why I guessed that with you, was because that's when I was, like, wanting. I, I actually, we were kind of close together. Like, you had sliders. <laughs> with every liquid condiment known to man, so the bun is really soggy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> wow, that's excellent. <laughs> I made someone cringe when I said that. I know I did. I, I can't imagine why. <laughs> um, But, I don't know. Other than that, maybe... Like Spencer Sanders at uh, Oklahoma State, you could do like some beach themed thing with sand. <laughs> like He's just literally eating sand. I mean, not literally eating sand, but like a like, like a beach themed thing where it's like it's like I don't know, like a sand something. It's not actually sand, but I don't know where I'm getting here. But I couldn't think of anyone else that had like a good name pun or anything. Also because I can't think of many names of current quarterbacks. Like, I almost said Jared Stidham, but he hasn't been in college for like oh four God. years. So You could have said Michael P- Penix. Michael Penix. Oh, that was low-hanging fruit. But Desmond, Desmond Ritter. Oh, you're right. Derek Desmond King. Oh, there's like Keaton Slovis. But I couldn't think of anything for Keaton Slovis. Maybe Keaton Slow Roasted pork or something bro if you were gonna go with spencer sanders i would have just said he eats chicken wings but they have to be broken in half in order to eat oh man (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) so i like how both of us immediately went to brock birdie i don't know maybe it's just because of my visceral hatred for him what would skyler's meal be um i don't know what it would be but it'd have a senior discount IHOP pancakes. That's it. It's just IHOP pancakes. Yeah, just, yeah, or worse, like just the IHOP burger. Oh! <laughs> oh! Damn it, now I'm hungry for IHOP. It's midnight. If it wouldn't be a CFB uh, quarterback thing, I think you and I have talked about this maybe. Maybe it wasn't you, but um, having uh, like a five guys signature meal for the oh, offensive yeah. line. No, no, no. This was you and I. Yeah. This, was, this was a conversation we had whenever NIL started. It yeah. was having five guys sponsor the offensive line. Which, that's such an easy, that's an easy target for five guys. If they want to get into NIL, that's what they should do. Is just start targeting offensive lines in uh, college towns where they have a restaurant. And just like, like sponsor a burger. Hey, you guys want to be sponsored by five guys? Yeah. Give us free burgers. That's all right. all you need to do. <laughs> yeah. Like, like that's, that's, that's easy money right there for five guys. I mean, it's literally five guys. So. Yeah, I mean, it's perfect. It writes itself. So, 
that pretty well wraps up this week's edition of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. I want to thank all of you for listening so far. We recently hit an audience of a projected audience of 100 people and the play milestone of 950, if I'm right. Uh, 941. 950. <laughs> 950, basically. Hey, estimated audience is up to 101, though. Oh? Oh? So I want to thank all of you for listening to the both of us talk about K-State, which is something that we're both extraordinarily passionate about. And I hope that some of you guys want to eventually check out our merch store, which is coming soon, alongside our brand new logo, which we may or may not release a teaser for whenever this episode comes out, depending on how far along it goes. But either way, brand new logo coming, new merch store coming. If you guys want to support us financially without the merch, that's possible in our podcast description, no matter where you listen. But most important is the listenership at all. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at Aggieville A Cats, capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to send us an email, do it at AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal level, our personal accounts on Twitter, mine is ACEdward00 alongside. Mine is Connor Balthazor, capital C and capital B. That'll do it. Thank you guys for listening, as I've said five times before. And as always, stay safe, Alleycats.